Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Bibles tonight, Revelation chapter 2. On these Sunday night services, uh, we have uh, embarked on a journey through the book of Revelation and um, The thing about Revelation is that uh, this book is so uh, wide and so deep that uh, it is worthy of our time and our attention to go through each uh, line by line and verse by verse. And I my prayer is that as we study this book, that you will find something each and every Sunday night that is going to challenge you and speak to you and encourage you. And so we're going to open up to Revelation chapter 2 as we look into this, uh, this second chapter where if we picked it up from last week, we know that Jesus is now giving his messages to the seven churches of Asia Minor in the book of Revelation. These are seven prominent churches of the time, and uh, each city that he speaks to has a church going through various difficulties going through uh, various um, uh, times and seasons. What is encouraging to me about this is to be reminded that Jesus is aware of what we are going through. He is aware very intimately of what you are experiencing in your life, in your family, in our church and in our city here in 2019. If Jesus can give these incredible, profound words to seven different churches, going through seven very different seasons of life, then we can be be sure tonight that He has a word to speak with us. Last week we looked at Ephesus, which is known as the Loveless Church. A church that had a lot of experience, had been around for a while, was one of the oldest churches of its time. A large church, an active church, a busy church, doing a lot of good things. And yet, Jesus spoke to them and said, you have one thing that you've forgotten. You have left your first love. And we learned from the church in Ephesus that it is possible to do many good things for the Lord for the wrong reason. It is possible to be very busy, to be very involved, and to be very... Uh, uh, active, and yet to lose the one thing that is most important, and that is our love and commitment for the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus, as he turns his attention now to the second church of the seven, we are going to look at the church called Smyrna. And this church is a both a crushed church and a crowned church. And I am excited tonight to share with you the struggles that they were going through and the encouragement that Christ 
has for them and for us tonight. Let's look at Revelation chapter 2, beginning with verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write these things, says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. I know your works, your tribulation, and your poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful. Everybody say faithful. That is so critical in our hour, in the generation we live. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Let's pray for just a moment. Father, we come by the blood of Jesus, and I thank you, Lord, for the Spirit of the living God. I thank you for truth, God, for your scripture that encourages us and helps us tonight. I pray that we would all be able to gain something valuable from this service, that we would be able to hear your voice and your word being spoken to us. I pray encourage us, even when we go through various trials and tribulations, God, that you would encourage and speak to us in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say, Amen. Let's look at this second church of the seven in the book of Revelation, the church of Smyrna, also known tonight as the persecuted church. And there is a reason why it is known as a persecuted church, because this church went through some incredible trials. If you looked at these churches on a map, the reason why Jesus addresses this church second out of seven is because the, 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 the path that, uh, that can go from one church to the next is in the same order of these seven churches. If you were traveling up the coast and around Asia Minor, you would find out that this, this is not just an a, a, a order that Jesus chose at random, but this is indeed a journey that he is traveling uh, through the seven churches. The historians tell us that this city, Smyrna, was one of the most beautiful cities in all of Asia. The city had some nicknames, the Flower of Asia, the Crown of Asia, or the Jewel of Asia. There was a harbor in this city. People would come in and out. They would be traveling to and fro. And of all the cities in Asia Minor, this was one of the wealthiest in all of the cities. The, uh, the amount of people, the population of the city during this time was about 100,000 people. That's a big city for the time. And uh, the city still exists to this day in modern-day Turkey. It is modern name is Izmir. In fact, uh, my wife and I, we've been to this city in Izmir, and even to this day is a beautiful city. It reminded me so much of San Diego, like San Diego of Turkey. It was a beautiful location, uh, very dry weather, right there on the ocean front, very, very beautiful. And it's interesting to me where the name Smyrna comes from, what it means. The root of the word for this city is the same as the, one of the gifts that was given to Jesus by the wise men 
It was the gift of myrrh. You remember, the three gifts was gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And that's very interesting and related to the scripture that we read tonight because myrrh is a perfume. It is a perfume that is produced by flowers and seeds. But the interesting thing is that myrrh is only released. It only releases that fragrant scent when it is crushed. Are you hearing me tonight? It is only when that myrrh is crushed that it releases the very fragrant perfume And they would use this perfume especially for anointing bodies after they had died. This is looking forward. When the Magi gave this gift to Jesus, it was pointing forward to the day that one day he would give his life and they would use this myrrh to anoint his body as they put him in the grave. So all of that background gives us, wow, it's interesting that this is the name of the city where the church was greatly persecuted. In addition to that, we know that the city of Smyrna went through earthquakes, attacks, raids, many oppressions. But here they were, having been crushed, but releasing a very sweet experience. And what we find is that the church in this city, the church that Jesus is speaking to, was one that was also being crushed perhaps on a daily basis, they were being persecuted. And at the same time, they were releasing the sweet aroma of the presence of God. Paul wrote to us in 2 Corinthians about what our lives should be like. I want you to listen carefully. 2 Corinthians, he says, We are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To one we are the smell of death, to the other... We are the fragrance of life. These Christians in the city of Smyrna were giving off the great aroma of Christ as they were being persecuted. Now, why were they being persecuted? Well, that's very easy to answer. This city of Smyrna was filled with worship of idols, as were many cities during the time. Every city had its own temple, had its own uh, gods, and uh, Smyrna was no different. Uh, There was a temple to Aphrodite and Zeus and Sybil and Apollo. And also, in addition to that, we know that the city was under Roman rule at the time. And Rome had begun practicing uh, the worship of emperors. So whoever was the Roman emperor of the time, that they would not just see him as a political leader, but they would see him indeed as a god. And they would demand for the people under their authority to worship the emperor as though he were God. Now that's a problem for Christians, isn't it? If the Roman emperor says, I am a God, and all of the Roman army says, he is a God and you better worship him, and if you're a Christian and you say, sorry, I don't worship any gods except for the one true God, now what do you think that is going to mean for you? it is going to mean persecution. It is going to mean that, uh, that you're not going to be able to live freely uh, without any pressure. Every citizen of the, of the city would have to offer tribute at a worship, at a temple to the Caesar. But the Christians in Smyrna 
were deeply persecuted because they refused to say that Caesar is God. Now, because of all of this, I want to talk to you tonight about the persecution that they faced. In verse 9 of our scripture, Jesus speaks to them and he says, I know your works, I know your tribulation. Everybody say tribulation. Now that's a long word, that's a word that we don't use often in English language. But the word at the root of it in the Greek language, it simply means the word pressure. Have you ever been under pressure? Under pressure. You know, when the do- you go to the doctor's office and the doctor says to you, you're about to feel a little bit of pressure. Buckle up, buddy, because pressure is pain, right? They're about to poke you. They're about to break you. They're about to scrape you. They're about to do something that is not very pleasant, right? You're going to feel a bit of pressure. There was one comedian who said, yeah, I could take a two-by-four. You're about to feel a little pressure right across your forehead. The word literally means pressure. What they were going through, tribulation, it means they were under pressure. Now, I want you to remember something tonight, something that we here in America, the the comfort generation, pressure is a good thing. like I'm preaching false doctrine all of a sudden. Are you going to throw tomatoes at me? Pressure is a good thing. Listen to what Paul says about tribulation. Same word, pressure. Romans 5, verse 3. We glory in tribulation. What? We glory in having pressure on our lives? Why do we do that? He says because we know that tribulation produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. And character produces hope. Hope. And when you have hope, verse 5, it says, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Have you ever been under pressure? At the end of the month, when there's not enough money, you feel pressure, don't you? Have you ever felt the pressure of having to lead your home? Men, husbands, have you ever felt the pressure of having to provide? That's pressure. Have you felt the pressure of what it means to be holy and to stay righteous and to resist temptation when it presents itself? Have you ever been under the pressure of witnessing to a lost soul when it was inconvenient? Or the pressure to understand and study the Word of God? You know, the Bible is very hard. It's not a comic book. Comic book, you can read it in five minutes. But the Bible is a very complex, hard-to-understand book. And the Bible says that you're supposed to understand it. There's pressure. That's a good thing. What kind of pressure are you facing tonight? Some of us are facing the pressures of bill collectors calling. Facing the pressures of a past bad decision coming back to haunt us. 
And you know what we normally do when we start to feel pressure? We say a prayer or something like this. Oh, God, please remove this pressure from me. Make my life easier, Lord. Lord, I just want to be like all those other people on Facebook with their pretty pictures. Lord, would you please deliver me from this pressure so I don't have to endure it? And we make a grave mistake, don't we? (laughs) We make a mistake by praying for deliverance from pressure. What we ought to be praying is, God, give me the strength to endure. God, give me the wisdom to remain faithful. Don't pray, God, please take this away. Even Paul, we know that, yes, it's not something that we enjoy. It's not something we we are uh, excited at the prospect of. But we should glory in our tribulation. The Apostle Paul, he had a thorn in the flesh. Do you remember the scripture? And three times he prayed, Lord, remove this from me. It's painful. It's hard. I'm trying to do something for you, Lord. Would you remove this pain from me? And what was God's answer? I'm not going to remove that pain from you, Paul. Because my grace is sufficient for you. You are able to endure it. That's like false doctrine in our generation. That's like uh, blasphemy to to a... society and a culture that is in love with comfort in love with convenience and ease and i want a bed that's softer and easier on my back and i want a food that i can drive through and i don't even have to prepare it i can just throw money at the window and they throw it back at me that's the society we live in where we're trying to minimize the pressure trying to get away from those things that are difficult and hard But I'm going to tell you this tonight. When you serve God, there will be times that God will put pressure on you and he will tell you to face that problem. There's no way around it. You're going to go through it. And when God does that, it either becomes a stumbling block or a stepping stone. Did you hear that tonight? When God puts pressure in your life, it either becomes a stumbling block or a stepping stone. And it's often not in between. It'll either be the thing that kills you or the thing that makes you better. And I want to guarantee you this, that if God has put pressure in your life, it's not because he wants to kill you. It's because he wants to make you better, stronger. He wants you to step up. And there is, we have this guarantee from Scripture that God has not given you a pressure that is too strong for you to bear. You believe that tonight? If you don't believe that, it's it's only going to be a matter of time until you start getting angry at God. God, this is too hard for me. This temptation is too difficult. God, uh, who do you think you are? I can't take this. Yes, you can. Because if God has allowed it in your life, he knows that he can give you the strength to endure it. I was speaking to a woman just the other day, and she was relating relating to me all of the terrible things she was going through. And yes, they were indeed terrible. She's having um, a crisis in her health. She's having a crisis with her home. She's lost her home, her job. 
She's going through a crisis. She's uh, uh, having to find a place to stay. She called me today and gave me an update. Thank God things are, are a little bit better. But, but she told me, as, as she was explaining to me all of this stuff, and we're praying for her, we're listening to her, and she made a statement. She says, I just really feel like Job right now. And, you know, I was very sympathetic. I was feeling bad for her. And so I didn't say this out loud, but you know what I was thinking? You better be glad you're not Job. Because at least all of your children haven't died. At least you still have a, a few dollars in your pocket. Right? And uh, even though, yes, we have gone through some terrible things in our lives, we have not yet died. You have not yet gone through some of the horrors that other people have gone through. The point is this. If you are facing pressure tonight, it's because God wants you to be better, not bitter. Think about an athlete tonight. Any sports fans here? Football, basketball, boxing, whatever, whatever your favorite sport is. Anyone who is good at a sport, the reason that you're good at a sport is not just natural talent. If you're going to become a professional-level athlete, it's because you're going to put some pressure on yourself. Or there's a coach somewhere along the line who's going to stop feeling sorry for you and put some pressure on you. No, you can run harder. Yes, you can. Stop arguing with me and do another lap. Right? Or if you've been in the military, you know that the, boot, all, the whole thing of boot camp is, is helping you to understand that you can do more than what you think you can do. Your body is capable of more than you think it is. It's true for your body. It's also true for your soul tonight. So many in our generation saying, oh, it's too hard. Oh, my life is so difficult. I'm bearing so much weight, Pastor. I came from this horrible family. I'm dealing with all this terrible stuff. Grow up! Everybody's got problems. Everybody's got struggles. Everybody has pressure. If we're going to make it for God, we're going to have to face adversity. James 1, verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Pastor, should I be happy if I go to the doctor and they tell me I have cancer? I mean, that would be such a difficult thing to bear. I don't hope for that. I don't want that to happen. But here's what I do know. If it happens, it is still possible for you to serve Jesus. It is still possible for you to go through that and be stronger. Because God would not allow it to happen to you unless he knew you were strong enough to make it through. So, the first thing that they were facing was pressure. It's a good thing nobody in here faces pressure. Man, that Bible is so old, we might as well just toss it. Oh no, it speaks to us right here today, doesn't it? Second thing that they faced was the issue of poverty. Everybody say poverty. poverty. Verse 9 says, I know your works, your tribulation, 
and your poverty. Jesus acknowledges the poverty of the church there in Smyrna. Now, there was a reason why this church was stricken with poverty. The word poverty in the literal translation, the Greek language there, it's not our understanding of poverty. (laughs) The word poverty there, it means that they literally had nothing. They had been stripped of every earthly possession. And that was because of the persecution that they were facing. The Roman Empire would come against them, take what they had, and then left them, uh, thankfully, with their lives. But nothing else. Now, I want to tell you something. If you say, oh, I can identify with that, with that kind of poverty. No, you can't. Not if you are an American citizen. And let me tell you why. I looked up the, the statistics as I was making this sermon. So... 5%, the bottom 5% in America, right? So we're talking about people who are on a yearly basis making less than $10,000. That's probably nobody here. If you're making less than $10,000, you're in the bottom 5% of wage earners in America. Bottom 5%, can I tell you something? You are still richer than 68% of the world. I want you to feel that. You are not poor. Stop telling yourself you are. If you make more than $10,000 per year, and most of us will, some of you are multiplying that by 10, right? Then you are living better than kings and queens from 50 years ago. Are you hearing me tonight? We have no idea of the level of poverty that Jesus is speaking to in the church of Smyrna. The truth is that our version of poverty, we compare ourselves to the guy down the street and we we feel sorry for ourselves. Oh, it's so hard. I can't buy my Twinkie. That's not poverty. Jesus looked at these people and he says, yes, he acknowledged that they were truly poor. They had lost everything. This was even worse than the homeless people you see on the street. Because even homeless people who hold the sign on the side of the road, they're making more than $10,000 a year. I guarantee you. We are richer than them. But Jesus looked at these people who were truly poor. And what did he say about them? He said, you are rich. I want you to hear this tonight. In America, many people have replaced God with money, the love of money. And I'm not saying it's evil to be rich. Listen, there are some amazingly uh, righteous rich people who use their wealth for the kingdom of God, and that is a wonderful thing. But the moment we begin trusting in our money more than we trust in God, do you know what we become? We become poor in the eyes of God. The man who said to himself, I will be, begin to build barns and bigger barns for myself, and I will, I, I will take all of my wealth and I'll begin to reinvest it. I'll begin to make for myself a great fortune. And Jesus called him a successful businessman. Oh, no, he didn't. He said, you fool. 
For today your life is required of you, your soul is required. And then, what are all these riches going to do for you? Right? Jesus saw the deep poverty of the church in Smyrna, and he says, but wait. You are rich. Rich in what? Rich in faith. I want to tell you, my wife and I, we lived in Bulgaria for four and a half years. And we saw real poverty there. We saw people who had nothing. We saw people that in the dead of winter, the only way they could keep their house warm was to burn their furniture to keep their children alive. That's poverty. None of you have had to go through that. There are programs, there are social safety nets that keep Americans from experiencing true poverty. And thank God for those. But I want to tell you, don't feel sorry for yourself. Because we are blessed by God. Jesus saw real poverty and he said, but listen, you know what happens to people? At the same time that they were going through desperate poverty, Jesus says, you are rich in faith. I heard a story one time of an African uh, leader who came to America for the first time, coming to a conference, uh, one of our Bible conferences in Prescott, Arizona. And he had never been to the United States before, and he came and, you know, with, with, all, with a, a group of Americans, he, he went and he did a tour of Walmart, you know. And uh, I can remember what this was like, coming back from overseas and walking down the aisles at Walmart, like, I can't believe how much stuff is in here. There's like 10,000 kinds of cereal. <laughs> and this African leader was having it. And then after going to Walmart, they went to a, they went to a buffet, you know. And there's piles of food, and there's, you know, the 500-pound man in the corner eating his, as much as his village, you know. And this African leader who had, who had been involved and seen people in true poverty, he made a statement. He says, you know, you people in the West, you pray for us who are poor. And you should pray for us. But he says, now that I see the wealth of, of the United States, I know that I need to pray for you even more. Because in your wealth, it is very easy to take your eyes off of God. And that is so true. How often because we can pay the bills, we think that we're something. And we lose connection with God. One of the greatest uh, blessings that I've ever seen is people who are in true poverty, the faith. The incredible, simple faith. If you've ever been on a missions trip, you've seen it. You've seen people who don't have anything. They don't even have a pair of shoes. But they have Jesus. And that's all they need. And they're full of joy. And you look at them and you say, how can you be happy? And you, they say, how could I not be happy? I have Jesus. What more do I need? And we all come back from overseas cursing ourselves. At how spoiled we are. There's a third thing that the church in Smyrna faced. They faced profanity. Look at verse 10. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and they are not, 
but they are a synagogue of Satan. Now, there have been evil people in the past, people like the Nazi regime who took taken and twisted this scripture to say that all Jews are of Satan. That is a twisting of the scripture. That is not what Jesus is speaking about here. The Jews in Smyrna were speaking about the people who had not believed in Jesus, people who had rejected Christ as the Messiah. So these Jews were the Jews who were Jewish in their name only. Jesus confronted this same group of Jews and he, it was the same group of Pharisees and Sadducees that rejected Christ as the Messiah. And what did Jesus say about them? He said, you are of your father, the devil, because you didn't believe in me. And that is true of anyone who rejects the influence of Christ, especially those Jews who knew who to look for, the Messiah. And when he was there in front of them, they rejected him. And he says, you are of your father, the devil. That's what it is meant by this scripture, the synagogue of Satan. It is those who were working vehemently against the church in Smyrna. It was the apostle Paul before he was Paul. When he was still Saul, the Christian killer, he was of the synagogue of Satan, working against the Christ. And when Jesus came and knocked him off of his horse, you remember what he said? I am Jesus. The one that you are persecuting. Had to rewire that brain real quick. And so there was a group of of radical Jews in this city that was conspiring and working against the church of Smyrna. It's a good thing there's nobody like that in 2019. Working against the church. Working against the truth. Working against righteousness in our generation. I would say that, the, that there is a world system that Satan is just behind the curtain, like the Wizard of Oz, controlling those in media, in Hollywood, those in the homosexual agenda, the synagogue of Satan that is working against God's people in our generation. They will oppose anyone who seeks to stand up for what is true. There is a synagogue of Satan today saying that men can be women and women can be men and boys can be girls and girls can be boys. There is a lie that is being perpetrated saying that men can marry men and women can marry women and that is wrong. Can you say amen? amen. That is a system of the world that is opposing truth. We are not the first church to face the synagogue of Satan. In our lives, we get discouraged. And it's usually because of one of these th three things. We get discouraged because of the persecutions. If we feel as though we are in poverty. Or if we feel that there are attacks against us. Profane attacks against us. So, what do we need in those times that we get discouraged? Here's one of the things that only two of these seven churches that Jesus addressed, only two of them were not rebuked by the Lord. And this is one of the two. Jesus did not rebuke them. He did not correct them. But what did Jesus do? He encouraged them. So it's funny. This morning, uh, my sermon ended with encouragement. <laughs> so you're going to get double dose of encouragement today. Because what this church needed in Smyrna this church needed great encouragement. Listen how Jesus encouraged them in verse 10. And we're going to close. 
He says, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. That's important for you to hear, beloved. Do not fear. Stop being afraid. You know what we often do when we're facing these three dangers of persecution, poverty, or profanity, the attacks that are against us? What we often do is we're, we're afraid. We're playing it down, playing it out in our heads. Well, this, is, this means that this is going to lead to that, and that means I'm going to lose my house, I'm going to lose my kids, I'm going to lose my car, I'm going to lose my job. And, and we, we play out the worst possible scenario in our head, right? What is that? Spirit of fear. The spirit of fear that says, uh, that says God is, uh, is, is not powerful enough to come in and help me. That's fear. And what we do is we shrink back from following the Lord because we're afraid. This is a tool of the enemy. 1 John 4.18 says that there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out all fear. Jesus commended the church. He encouraged the church do not fear those things which you are about to suffer. Jesus did not candy coat this. He did not avoid it. He said, yes, you're about to suffer. You're about to feel some pressure right across, right across your forehead, right? You're about to feel some pressure. But don't fear. Don't be afraid. We tell this to our children if they have to get an injection at the doctor's office, right? I know, you're going to feel some pain. Or you go to the doctor's office, yes, there's going to be some pain. You go to the dentist, you're going to get a filling, it's going to hurt. And if you try to lie to them and say, oh, no, it's just going to be fine. Oh, no, no, you're not going to feel anything. You know what they're going to do? You lied to me. And they're going to never go to the dentist again. And all their teeth are going to fall out and they're going to blame you. And then they're going to explain to their therapist in 20 years about how you lied to them. Jesus did not lie to them. He said, yes, there is going to be pain. There is going to be pressure. But do not fear. He spelled it out. The devil is about to throw some of you into prison. That's pretty real. That you may be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. But the encouragement that Jesus gave to them is this. Be faithful, even to death, and I will give you the crown of life. Luke 12, verse 4, Jesus said, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. But I, show, I will show you who you should fear. Fear him who, after the killing of the body, has the power to throw you into hell. Yes, him you need to fear. So we need to make a decision tonight. Are you more afraid of the persecution or of the Lord who can deliver you from the persecution? Are you, are you hearing me tonight? Verse 11 says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. A few years back, uh, Dave and I, we on our podcast, we did an interview with a guy from a uh, uh, organization called Open Door. The Open Door is an organization that supports the persecuted church. Today, uh, all around the world, there are places where the Christian church is being desperately persecuted, where they are literally killing Christians, persecute, chasing them out of, to- out of their homes, 
There are places where they're taking the young girls out of villages and, and uh, kidnapping them and uh, doing horrible things to them, right? This is happening to our brothers and sisters. Then this is why we need to be praying for the, the persecuted church. But I was amazed in this interview that we did with this man. And he said that when we talk to those Christians, when we call them and we say, what can we do for you? How can we pray for you? Can we send you money? Can we send you Bibles? Can we, send, can we pray for deliverance? And it was amazing to me what this man said. He said that when those people are under persecution, they never ask that we would pray for their deliverance. He says they simply ask that we pray for strength to endure. For strength to not deny their Lord and Savior in the midst of persecution. That's how you should pray for the persecuted church. Lord, give them the strength to endure and still to shine the light of Christ so that when they are crushed, it releases that fragrance that blesses the entire world and is a, is a beautiful smell, aroma in the nostrils to God. And I want to tell you that it's not for nothing. Some people look at that and say, well, pastor, those people are just wasting their lives. It's not a waste. And you know why? Because of what Jesus said in that scripture. He said, I will give to you a crown of life. He encouraged them by asking them to lift up their eyes beyond their, their earthly uh, pressure and pain that they're facing. And he says, look, look beyond, look to the eternal, because there, there is a reward if you will be faithful. God's message to us is do not focus on the situation that you're going through. Do not focus on the circumstances which are causing you pain, but look beyond to the reward. 2 Corinthians 4 Paul tells the church in Corinth and he reminds them, he says, we do not lose heart for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Now, I don't think anybody here has been through the kinds of problems that Paul went through. As he was writing that scripture, he was literally in a jail cell chained to a wall. And you know what he says about that? He says, oh, it's a light and momentary affliction. No big deal. He says, we can say that that is light and it's an easy thing to go through. Do you know why? Because he was looking forward to the promise that was awaiting him. He said, I can do this. And we, uh, I mentioned a, a few weeks back, I think, that, that, that scripture that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Oh, that's a good scripture. Let me get a pillow with that one. Let me put that on a frame in my house. I can do all things. Let me put that tattoo on my forearm. Yeah, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, when you look at the context of that scripture, Paul is speaking about all of the afflictions that he is going through. He's saying all of my persecutions, all of my pain, all the times I've been stoned, all the times I've been rejected, all the times they kicked me out of cities, all the times they beat me up. And he says, but I can do all things, all of these things, through Christ who strengthens me. And we learn tonight from the church in Smyrna that, yes, this Christian life is going to present you some pain. 
some persecution. Some poverty, maybe, from time to time. And perhaps even some profanity. You're going to be offended and hurt by people. My encouragement to you is what Jesus encouraged this church in Smyrna. He said, do not fear, but be faithful even unto death. I want to close with this story about a church leader. It was only 60 years after this letter was written to the church in Smyrna. There was a man named, uh, a bishop named Polycarp. If you're familiar with uh, church history, you know he was a very important person in church history. He had been trained directly by the Apostle John who wrote the book of Revelation. And when Polycarp was 86 years old, he was the leader of this church in Smyrna. He was the bishop. He was the pastor of that church. It was the time when the Roman Empire had completed the Colosseum. And in that Colosseum, they would throw Christians in there like, like, uh, like bait for the lions, just for entertainment. They would participate in worship of the emperor, and they would kill those and persecute those who would not participate. So Polycarp was the leader of this church, and one day he stood before the Roman governor. And the governor wasn't sure what to do with this old man, 86 years old. What should we do to punish him? It wasn't very fun to feed him to the lions. He, would, he wouldn't be much of a hunt, right? So he offered him a chance to turn from Christ. Deny Christ, he said, and I'll let you go free. Polycarp just looked at him and says, 86 years I've served the Lord Jesus. He has never done me wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? The governor then threatened him by, with, with a public burning. Polycarp replied, You threaten me with a fire that burns for a short time and is quickly quenched. For you do not know the fire which awaits the wicked in the judgment to come and in everlasting punishment. The governor was furious. He said one more time, Act your age with wisdom. Praise Caesar, change your mind, and recant your faith. Polycarp looked around at the group of pagans around him and he says, away with all of you. If you vainly expect, I will swear by Caesar, as you suggest, and pretend to be ignorant who I am, I openly uh, say to everyone here, I am a Christian. If you want to learn the teaching of Christianity, name the day and I will teach you. The bishop was led to the platform where the execution was about to take place, the crowd proceeded to bring the wood, and that day, 86-year-old man Polycarp was martyred for his faith in Christ. Burned alive. But I want to tell you what he got. The crown of life. And one day, you and I will get to shake his hand and say, thank you for being faithful. And we can learn from that tonight. Will you be faithful? Will you be faithful even when you're going through painful and difficult things? Will you keep coming to church? People say, Pastor, I'm going through too many things to come to church. Come on! It's when we go through things that we're supposed to get to church. Pastor, I'm too poor to come. I'm too poor to serve the Lord. I don't know what to say to you. I've seen people wading through two-foot-deep mud puddles 
to get to the church service on Sunday night. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vbph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website, vbph.org, and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people. And for just a moment, I want to ask you to search your heart.